0: You're listening to the Formation Church Podcast. Formation exists to be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. For more information about the ministry of Formation in Salt Lake City, Utah, visit our website at formationslc.com. I want to start today drawing our attention to um, what I think is an increasingly concerning trend that's developing in our culture, but then also in each of our lives individually. Uh, as I'm sure you can imagine, every single week, I have many conversations <clears throat> with people in our church. Some of those conversations happen in person. Uh, oftentimes, they happen over text or email. Uh, every Monday morning, uh, as I make my way through the prayer request that you submit every single week, I see this same inner state that continues to present itself over and over and over. So it doesn't matter what the median is and how it's coming in, it's the same interstate that continues to surface over and over again in so many of us. And that interstate is this: We are increasingly overwhelmed by life. I'm, I'm, I bet that many of you resonate with that even, even right now. You come in. it's Christmas Eve. Hopefully, there's some amount of joy wrapped up in that. But many of us think about the year that we've just had. We, maybe you even think about something you have to go do later today. Maybe it's a family gathering. And uh, you think about the year to come, and there's just this state of overwhelm. Now, to be overwhelmed literally means to be buried or drowning beneath a huge mass. And so when I think about this, I see us buried under or drowning beneath the endless what feels like the endless challenges of modern life. And some of us are overwhelmed by life physically due to maybe a health issue or chronic fatigue. Many of us are overwhelmed emotionally or mentally, overwhelmed by depression or anxiety or chronic stress that has just become increasingly prevalent. Some of us are overwhelmed this morning relationally because of some conflict in an important or meaningful relationship in our life or we're estranged from a loved one. Maybe you come in this morning and you feel a bit overwhelmed spiritually. Maybe you feel like you're drowning in doubt or in a dry place spiritually. Regardless, my point is just that so many of us resonate with this sense and feeling of being overwhelmed by life. And the challenge is how we address overwhelm can be kind of complicated because there isn't a one-size-fits-all solution. So the way that we might address emotional overwhelm and the way that we might address a relational overwhelm, they're far from identical. And so regardless of the specific nature, there is one piece of the solution which God invites us all to. We are invited to make the choice to shift our gaze off of what is overwhelming us and onto the character and the nature and the presence of God with us. That is a choice in seasons of overwhelm, we are all invited to. And we don't make that choice to avoid the reality of what's happening. We make that choice to remember that God is with us in the midst of it, to remember who God really is, to embrace the fullness of the whole story. Even this morning in my own prayer time, I was in Psalm 93 verse one, and the psalmist says that God is enveloped in strength, which is a powerful image that there is so much endless strength bound up in him that it surrounds him and, and, and flows from him to us. We need to be reminded of those things in seasons of overwhelm. And Christmas is the celebration of what God has done for us in the birth of Jesus. So Christmas provides us with this opportunity. And so all month long, we've been in this short series that we've called A Light Has Dawned, where we have been reflecting on the Christmas story together. And the truth is we need to remember that story because when we forget what Christmas is the celebration of, we forget why it matters. And, and when that happens, when we forget what we celebrate and why it matters, we end up overwhelmed by life rather than the love that God has showered on us through Jesus. And so today we're going to reflect on the events surrounding the birth of Jesus and we're going to think about why they matter to each of us. And so I want to set this overarching big idea at the outset. This is what we are going to be working towards. So if you're a note taker, make a note of this. The birth of Christ invites the fruit of worship. The birth of Christ invites the fruit of worship. See, when life overwhelms us, we have a tendency to worry. But when the reality of God's good presence overwhelms us, we can make the decision to choose worship. And so if you have a Bible that you like to read from, then do me a favor and open up to Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And if you don't have a Bible, all the scripture is going to be on the screen, and we're going to call this message Choosing Worship. So if you have not been here the last couple of weeks, here's what you've missed. Um, 400 years prior to the birth of Christ, the prophet Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would be born. Then we skipped ahead to Luke chapter one, where we begin to see the fruition uh, of that promise come to be. And we met these two people, Elizabeth and Zechariah, who have a baby boy named John, who was promised to prepare the way for the Messiah. Then last week, we looked at the story of the angel Gabriel coming to Mary, the mother of Jesus and telling her that she was going to give birth to the Messiah. So all of that has taken place before we get to Luke chapter two. And we're gonna pick up together today in verse one. All right, listen to this. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and the family line of David to be registered along with Mary who was engaged to him and was pregnant. So right off the bat, and we might, have, might miss this, our story here faces a bit of a biblical geographic problem. See, the time for Mary to give birth was approaching quickly, and she and Mary, or Joseph and Mary at this time, are living in a town called Nazareth. Now, you might think, well, why does any of that even matter? Well, it matters because in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, there is a prophetic promise that the Messiah would be from Bethlehem. So they're living in Nazareth, but the Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And so the question is, how is God going to get Mary and Joseph from Bethlehem to, or from Nazareth to Bethlehem? And we read right here in these first five verses the unlikely answer to that question. These first five verses have a way of feeling strictly factual. Like Luke is just recording a chain of events. So he's like, this happened, and then they did that. And then that happened, and so they do this. But we have to see God's own hand over all of these factual events that take place. Remember, in the first century, the people of God were subject to Roman rule. So Caesar Augustus, who reigned from 31 BC to AD 14, issues this decree that the entire empire, meaning all of the known inhabited world, that was under Roman governance, had to return to their place of origin to be registered for the purpose of taxation, So even then, in the first century at this time, occasionally people did move around just like people move around in our own culture. So for instance, show of hands, how many of you were not born in Salt Lake City? That's a surprising amount of us. Uh, We live in a very, very transient city, I know, but that's true for me too. I was born in Corvallis, Oregon. And so this decree said that everyone needed to go back to where they were actually born and they needed to be registered. And guess where Joseph just happened to be from, Bethlehem. And so while some of these more factual details have a tendency to read a little bit dry to us, we have to see this reassuring truth within them that somehow, in some way, God is always accomplishing some part of his plan. Somehow, in some way, God is always accomplishing some part of his plan. I want you to really think about that. Because when this decree came, you know what Mary and Joseph would have felt? Frustration and fear. This poor young woman, which again, remember, she's like 14, 15-year-olds tops. She's nine months pregnant, and then they get the news, and they have to be thinking, really, God? Now? Like, we've already been through so much. Remember, Mary would have been the subject of, of immense ridicule. I can't even imagine what people thought about Joseph. So they had to be thinking, Lord, we have already endured so much. This is the worst possible timing. And the truth is, this had to happen for God's plan to be accomplished. And that exact same thing is true for you and I. We will not always see it. We may not always understand it. Our circumstances may feel completely contrary to what we think God's plan should be. But somehow, in some way, God's always accomplishing some part of his plan. And to their credit, once again, Mary and jo- Joseph choose to trust his plan. Look at verse 6. It says, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, just think about this for a second. We've got a few new babies on the way here in our own church. Poor Amy Shilkey. she was supposed to have her baby Wednesday. She walked in this morning and goes, I've never been more disappointed to be at church in my whole life. (laughs) To be honest, I've never been more disappointed to see someone at church on Sunday morning. And I I mean, I watch my own wife endure three pregnancies, so I, I have this like secondhand understanding of how uncomfortable pregnancy is. And so with that in mind, just imagine this. Mary and Joseph have to endure the difficulty of getting from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which if you don't know, is an 85 to 90 mile journey. They made that journey on foot or on, by donkey. All the pictures always show a donkey. The text never men- mentions a donkey. To be quite honest, I'm not sure a donkey's any better. Imagine <laughs> being nine months pregnant riding a donkey 90 miles. No thank you. So I remember when Tammy was nine months pregnant, she got winded coming to bed. We weren't hiking, okay? So the idea of doing this nine months pregnant is just almost unimaginable. And despite our tendency to import details into the text, notice Luke doesn't really give us very much detail here. There's no mention, as we see so commonly, there's no mention of them going from inn to inn, being turned away by some grumpy innkeeper who just didn't have room. Like, that's not here. Verse 7 just simply says there was no guest room. Now, a guest room in their culture wouldn't have been like a bed and breakfast. It wouldn't have been a hotel it most likely is a reference to a private home or maybe a public shelter. So maybe we could think it best like a hostel, but something like that. And there was no room. So they arrive. There's no room for them. And then, worst case scenario, poor Mary goes into labor and Jesus is born. So she wraps him, the text says, in cloth, which would have been these long uh, stretches of cloth that were meant to help straighten his limbs. And she places him in a manger, which is just a feeding trough for animals that most likely was very little more than a hole dug in the ground. So there's not a lot of descriptive details, but it's safe to assume that none of this was a part of Mary's birth plan, okay? Like, there's no way Mary's laid out in a barn going, this is exactly the way I imagined this magical moment. There's just no way any of that's going through her mind. But despite the less than preferable circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth, God provided for their need and Jesus was born. And even though his arrival wasn't spectacular, this next announcement absolutely was. Look at verse eight. It says, In the same region shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, which is another name for Bethlehem, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts, with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. So imagine this scene with me for a second. These shepherds. Are out one night sleeping with their sheep, which was very common in their culture in order to protect their sheep from thieves and predators. Now, we don't know exactly what time it was. We don't know if they were awake or if they were sleeping, but what we do know is that it's nighttime, and out of nowhere, this angel appears, and understandably, they are terrified. And this angel announces the birth of Christ. And then the text says that a multitude of angels sing praise to God. Now, in Greek, that word multitude refers to thousands of angels. So we don't know the specific number, but at minimum, we're talking thousands of angels in the sky appearing to these shepherds. And what makes this announcement so significant is not just that Jesus was born, but what it meant and what it invites within us. The birth of Christ invites the fruit of worship. And so I wanna highlight just briefly a few reasons why worship is the right response to the birth of Christ, okay? Here's the first one. Number one, the birth of Christ was good news. The birth of Christ was good news. Notice how the angel soothes the shepherd's fear. He says to them, don't be afraid for I proclaim to you good news. Now, As you can imagine, these shepherds were not exactly experienced in angel relations. So this one shows up to them, and they freak out because they assume something bad is about to happen. And the truth is, when we are anticipating bad news, only good news will alleviate our fear. Some of you might remember this or know this or I've shared this with you, but when Tammy was pregnant with Ava, uh, our first, Uh, She had a paratubal cyst, which is a cyst on the fallopian tubes, and our doctor informed us that it was going to need to be removed by surgery and that they wanted to do that when she was 20 weeks pregnant. And it was a very, very scary thing for us, as you can imagine. I remember sitting with our doctor, who we loved and we trusted so much. She was amazing. But I remember her sitting with us and saying, the baby should be totally fine, but there's always a risk which, to her credit, you have to, you have to share. And I got to tell you, all I heard was the butt. <laughs> That's the only part I fixated on. And I remember the day of that surgery. We were so scared. And I remember sitting outside for what seemed like forever in the waiting room. And I have to tell you, the singular thing that could alleviate the fear that I was carrying was seeing our doctor come out and say, I have good news. So here's the thing. If you are burned out, if you feel beat up, if you feel broken down, if you feel emotionally and mentally bankrupt right now, it isn't just trite, there is nothing that is better news than the birth of Christ because the birth of Christ means that we are not alone. Jesus is and will always be Emmanuel, God with us. He promises us strength. He promises us provision and peace and protection. And so the birth of Jesus, as we all know, did not remove every problem we face. But it does mean that he is present with us in all of them. And as a result of that, the birth of Christ invites the fruit of worship. It's good news. But there's more. Secondly, the birth of Christ was for all people. The birth of Christ was for all people. Now, here's what I think is the most amazing thing about this scene with these angels and these shepherds. It's not the appearance of the angels. Like, we should kind of expect that, at very least. The Son of God is born to save the world. I would hope, at very least, some angels show up and make some noise about that. What's most amazing is that these angels appeared to shepherds. They were lowly, humble, shepherds. They had zero political power. They had no societal or cultural clout or significance. They were just a few people watching sheep. These weren't like some highly respected. That wasn't, even then, like no one right now, when they think of shepherds, like God bless people that are shepherds. I think that's still a thing somewhere. Every once in a while, I drive out to the West Valley and there's this one house that has like seven sheep. And I'm just always confused by that. But no one thinks about that as like the, the most highly respected sought-after profession. And the truth is, the humble nature of, of these people that these angels appear to, that should really, really mean the world to us. Because those shepherds are a picture of who Jesus had come for. Humble, lowly, culturally insignificant, broken, hurting, poor, destitute, and overwhelmed people. Jesus came for every type of person. Now, upon hearing that, I anticipate some skepticism in some of our hearts and minds. See, most of us have a specific person maybe, or maybe a specific type of person that we just really have a hard time believing that Jesus would come to save. That's called prejudice, just so you know. But we all have that, it's inside of us. And so as a result of that, we're skeptical when we hear that this is good news for all people. What we hear is this is good news for all people, except, and then you fill in your blank. It may not even be conscious in all of our minds. But here's what I think is really concerning is that oftentimes the person we can't believe that Christ came to save is us. That's really, really hard for some of us to believe. And so when the angel said he had good news for all the people, he meant all the people, including every person listening right now who doesn't think they deserve it. The birth of Christ invites the fruit of worship because it is good news for all people. And then finally, the birth of Christ meant salvation that's the third reason. The birth of Christ meant salvation. See, one of the frustrating things that I, uh, that I think about in our own culture is this bizarre freedom that people seem to feel to ignore what the Bible says about Jesus and instead just kind of import their own thing. And so as a result, there are like countless identities and agendas that have been imported and projected onto the person of Jesus. So some people think of him as a sage Some people think that he was just a a wise teacher. Other people see him as a revolutionary or a, a rebel or even a political anarchist. Some people view him as just a prophet. And the problem with all of that, and that's not to say that Jesus was not some of those things, but the problem is that's just not what the Bible says about him. This angel says, today in the city of David, a savior was born for you, who is the Messiah. Now listen, sages are helpful. I, like, the older I get, I am, I'm on this, like, one, I, I want to be Obi-Wan Kenobi by the time I'm old. That's my whole goal. I want to be like an old sage. But sages don't save people. And prophets are important. They don't save people. And political leaders, when they are not out of their mind and monsters are necessary, but they don't save people. And so the biggest reason that the birth of Christ invites the fruit of worship, the reason that his birth is such good news for all people is because Jesus was and is the Christ, the Messiah, the very Son of God who was born into this world to die for this world, to bring salvation to this world. And this means that in our worst and most overwhelmed moments, when everything feels stacked against us, when our sanity feels like it is seconds from snapping, even then, we have reason to choose worship because Jesus was born to save us. And because of that, he is worthy of our worship on our worst days. The birth of Christ invites the fruit of worship because it is good news of salvation for all people. Now let's finish up, look at verse 15 with me. It says, when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and they found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which was just as they had been told. And when the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. So here's what I want you to notice as we close. I want you to consider that there are varying responses to the birth of Jesus in these verses. Notice that some people wonder about the report of the shepherds. They're amazed by it, but they're like, what is happening? Which is fair and makes sense. Mary, the text says, treasured these things up and pondered them in her heart, and the shepherds left, and they are glorifying and praising God. They choose worship. And so here's the question that I want to ask you this Christmas Eve. How will you, in whatever state or season that you find yourself in right now, how will you choose to respond to the birth of Christ? See, the majority of what overwhelms us is 100% legitimate. Listen to this. You're not crazy for being overwhelmed. There's some really overwhelming things happening in our world all the time. And we are more aware of all of that than we have ever been at any point in human history. And there are some very overwhelming and legitimate things happening in your heart, in your life, in your circumstances surrounding you. So our overwhelm is legitimate, but it isn't the whole story. The birth of Jesus is good news of salvation for all of us. So the whole story is that Jesus is going to have the final word. So we can... And we should choose to worship him. And so I wanna pray for us one more time and then we're gonna stand together and we're gonna do just that as Shanna leads us in this last song. So why don't we do this? Why don't you stand to your feet even now? Just quietly close your eyes with me for a second. And let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for each and every person who is listening right now. I thank you that you have drawn each of us to this place today. None of us is here by accident. I thank you, Lord, that our presence here is a sign of your love for us. You wanted us to be here today, to hear songs of the good news of your birth, to hear the good news that you love us, that you are with us that you are for us, that you are at work in everything going on in our world, that you are at work in everything going on in our lives. You wanted us to know that. And all of that good news invites a response from us, Lord. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be present in each of our hearts. I pray that today you would awaken our hearts to faith. Some of us, maybe for the very first time, but even those of us who have been walking with you for a long season of time, Lord, in the midst of our overwhelm, in the midst of our stress, in the midst of our anxieties and our worries and the dread that we might feel, Spirit of God, would you empower us not just to react to those things, but to intentionally respond to who you are, to what you have done, and to what you will do. Lord, would you help us this morning to choose worship? I pray that you would help us to do just that. In Jesus' name, amen.